episode 300, bonus edition, interview with Linda Rhine, 2.0. Hey y'all, welcome to the Empowering Educators podcast. I am Gretchen, your host and expert lesson learner. I'm a national board certified elementary teacher turned teacher, trainer, and coach. All the lessons I've learned and am learning on my edgy journey, I share with you right here. From every silly mistake to the most glorious successes, you're going to hear stories and strategies that will inspire you to become your best. I have to warn you, as an educator, I can't help but hold you accountable for doing the work. So every episode, I leave you with practical, tangible next steps so you can implement your learning and maximize your impact. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, there's always a lesson if you're willing to pay close attention. Elite educators, that's the secret to staying empowered. Bring on today's lesson. Elite educators, this is Madeline and always a lesson team member. This is a very special episode. We've reached the 300th milestone. We appreciate you all sending in congratulations, well wishes, and your favorite takeaways from over the years. I want to highlight two. First is from Jaina Lee. Congratulations, Gretchen. Your enthusiasm and passion for educators around the world is beyond represented in your work. Thank you for making the education space seem less lonely and tiresome. It's always refreshing to hear how you've navigated very similar struggles to what educators are currently facing. Next is from Ryan Polkey. This is just not a podcast. It's a game changer. Thank you for supporting and loving on our community. Thank you, Ryan and Jana. Thank you to everyone who subscribes, leaves ratings and reviews, and listens on a consistent basis. This show wouldn't exist without you. Also, a big shout out to those listening near and far, like Australia, Canada, Malaysia, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and United Kingdom. We can see you tuning in and appreciate you taking your learning back to your unique schooling environments. So without any further ado, let's jump into episode 300. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the Empowering Educators podcast. I am bringing someone back on who's phenomenal. She's my former instructional coach when I was in the classroom. Love her dearly. She is a lover of literacy and boy, did I give her all permission to nerd out on this episode. So much has been happening in classrooms with transitioning from guided reading models to science of reading. And I thought it was important to dedicate an episode to like, what the heck is this? Why do we have to do this? What's the impact that this has? And a way that didn't feel like a boring PD, but just like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I can, I can handle that, that, you know, I can do small little things every day to make an impact without feeling super overwhelmed. So I give her permission in the beginning of the episode to just like get it all out. And then I start prompting her with some questions, which might be the same questions you've been asking or been wanting to know. And whether your school has adopted science of reading or they haven't, it's coming and it's important to just understand and have the perspective and understand where it's trying to go and what it's trying to accomplish. So hang tight for a unique episode. You're going to get a lot of learning and a lot of time to reflect as well and obviously some inspiration and encouragement. So hang tight. So Linda first appeared on the podcast in episode 269. I'll link that in the show notes. If you go to alwayslesson.com, click on podcast, 
you'll find this episode and then you can listen to her episode before, but she talks more about her classroom and leadership experience there where this is more of a very focused episode. But I thought it's important just to remind you of how fabulous she is. In fact, I've known her for so long when I did the Zoom call with her, I put interview with Schultz, which is her maiden name. That's how long I've known her. It's been over a decade. I mean, she's not been a Schultz in a very long time. And um, she didn't even say anything about it, which shows you how she's probably so used to me calling her that. But anyway, she's the same old Linda. Love her so much. She has ended up leaving the district role so she can continue to work with more folks and not worry about state lines. So she is consulting schools and teachers, which is awesome. And she's helping them connect research to practice in safe and supportive environments. She's an award-winning and nationally board-certified educator with over 15 years at CMS, which is one of the nation's 20 largest urban school districts in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I can attest to all of that. Um, she's served in multiple positions, classroom teacher, literacy facilitator, new teacher support coordinator, Southeast Learning Community Coordinator, 10 years experience as an instructional coach. Whew. And if you didn't think she had any time left, she does. She spends time uh, with her boys, her husband. She loves to read. And if you followed her on social media, working out has been part of her therapy to overcome something very interesting in her life. So feel free to dig into that. She's very open about it. And um, I think it's one more way she's amazing and inspiring each and every day. But let's jump into this conversation all about literacy. Linda, welcome back to the Empowering Educators podcast. So glad to be here. Yeah, we are going to dive into part two of your story. So when you were on the podcast last, it was episode 269. And we focused all about your experience from a teacher to a coach to now consulting. And one sentence really stood out to me about that episode. You said, if you can take a stance of staying curious, you will succeed. And I found that interesting at the time, but now that I was like, we have actually got to get caught up on everything that's happened in your life since then, it's interesting how that idea of being curious still applies to you being in the forefront of creating something amazing for your state and being part of helping schools adopt science of reading. And so will you just kind of get us caught up and why are we shifting from guided reading to science of reading and what you ended up doing about that? Yeah, I began my career entrenched in understanding, believing, implementing everything guided reading, starting with my master's program through being in the classroom and then literacy coach, right? And what I've come to find and, and come to learn and had to admit, right? Like, oh, like I did not know these things is that the research behind guided reading is not necessarily the type of research we normally lean on or would, would desire to lean on in terms of making decisions for classroom practices. And so what we've, what we've learned is that it was often the authors themselves conducting kind of case studies in implementing their theories, maybe in settings that, that are not applicable across, right? So like, that's always something we consider when we're looking at research, right? Like sample size, how often have these results been replicated 
right? And then we also look at what, how was the study even set up in the first place, right? So when we think about science of reading, which has recently, I think, become kind of a polarizing term for many people, <laughs> right? Um, what we're, what I think many people who are advocating for that are really saying is like, we need something that we can trust, right? And so by leaning on evidence-based research, we know that the way that the study was set up was in a way that you have an experimental group and a control group, right? And there's a much larger body of research that's being leaned on to support what's happening for us um, to become proficient readers, right? So when guided reading was becoming popular and popularized and, and there you know, were some case study type research um, studies being published, what we found, what, what, what we didn't have access to, right, was the neuroscience and the cognitive science base that we now have started to welcome into our kind of our educator and reading world, right? Like now we have neuroscience that tells us how, what the brain does while we're reading. Like we can map that we have, you, there's an image you can go and watch Stanislaus Dehan's video. He does a great job explaining it. So when we learn that, right, what that tells us is that in order to become a proficient reader, Children need and require direct, explicit, and systematic instruction in the foundational skills. That means it follows like a very linear progression, right? We saw a lot of that named in the 2000 um, National Reading Panel study. And then, of course, things have happened subsequently since then that have done the repetitive results, right, that we're kind of looking for. So you, so you have this progression of skills where you work from sounds, right? Which is what we do naturally. And then we move through phonics, right? So you start with phonemic awareness. Can I understand the sounds that I'm hearing in the language? Can I identify a single sound in the words that I'm hearing? And then once we move through the alphabetic principle of connecting sounds and letters, phonics, right? Then we start to work on becoming a proficient decoder and build our fluency. While at the same time, we are continuing to build our comprehension skills, but it might be through the support of a teacher reading aloud, things like that, right? So how does that different than what we see in guided reading? Guided reading, the focus is on comprehension of the story, which is the ultimate goal of reading, right? Like that's what we all want is to make meaning from the text that we're reading. But that is a misguided goal for our earliest learners who are not yet proficient readers, right? For them to be doing that independently in a text kind of defers the, the goal of building them as proficient decoders. Because what, what we've also, probably many of us listening to this have experienced, right, is our children seem like great readers in our early grades. And then as the scaffolds of the visuals and the illustrations and the pictures begin to drop off and the vocabulary continues to increase in complexity, they all of a sudden don't have the decoding skills that they need for some of these more complex words. Um, because we didn't spend the, the time early on doing the hard thing, right? Of teaching them how to kind of 
have the resilience to move through a word and, and become a decoder. So guided readings focus by focusing on comprehension, right? We tend to use what's called a three queuing approach where you hear people saying, well, let's take a, what does the picture show, right? Student gets to a word that they don't know it's elephant or something, right? They see an E, they don't know, whatever, they're just stuck. But the picture lets them know that this new unfamiliar word, that's not the part of the same pattern sentence that I taught you before we started the book. Oh, it's going to be elephant, right? So the child, it's like, yes, good job. You read that word, but they didn't actually read the word because their brain did not make the connection between the letters and sounds to then make meaning of what they were hearing and reading, hearing and seeing, right? Um, as they pronounce the word. Instead, they leaned on the visual picture to decode an unknown word. And so because that is easier on the child and gives us as the educator the impression like that they're reading, right? We move on um, and we end up rather than systematically addressing the phonics skills that they need, it ends up being kind of incidental or haphazard. Even in the elephant example, right? Like we might've, we might've pointed out the first letter after cueing the visual, we might say like, well, let's check. Does that sound right? Let's look at the first letter, right? And they hear, or they see the E and they go, eh, eh, eh. And then we might teach into that, right? Like, yes, that's the short vowel sound for, for E, right? But then we miss the nuance of there are many, many more sounds for the child to decode in that word, including the pH digraph, right? We choose the texts first in guided reading and then the skills just, we just kind of address the skills that the text allows for instead of choosing to follow a systematic approach, whether given a scope and sequence or following one that is part of our curriculum and choosing texts that then give students the practice with the skills that we're teaching them. So a key difference is the need for systematic, explicit, direct instruction. Like kids are not just going to come up with this on their own. We have to tell them the thing, and then we have to let them practice the thing with support. And then they have to practice the thing again. And depending on the child, the amount of practice that they need could be vast, or it could be that they get it in, in one go. So, yeah, so, so that is a, that is a key reason why we're moving away from that and What's really interesting is it feels hard, right? Because it feels new. It's a change. And we might be being asked to make that change without really understanding why or understanding the, the research behind it. And so that pains me, right? Like that's, that's a leadership move when we think about teacher leaders and other school leaders thinking about supporting this kind of shift. Like not forgetting that, yes, we want practices to change, but a key thing to adult learning is helping adults understand the why. I mean, kids need that too, right? Like we just, we just don't lose that. And it's especially important as adults, like helping us understand the purpose for moving away from that and knowing that and like acknowledging, like the thing that we're asking kids to do is hard. 
So they're naturally going to want to lean on the picture because it's a little bit easier for them to do and to feel successful with. So when we make this shift to a more systematic approach, we might change our text to decodable text, right? And it's going to feel hard for both the teacher because it's new practice and for the child because learning to read is, is, is difficult and we're rewiring our, our brain's neuro processes to support the connection between letters and sounds in a, in like milliseconds so that we become a proficient reader. It's amazing as I'm listening to you describe this, because both you and I were trained in guided reading. In fact, you were my coach. You were in my classroom watching me, giving me feedback as I'm doing guided reading lessons. And we both felt like we're doing what's best for kids. We are Mm -hmm. knowledgeable in this and we're going to keep at it and make sure every kid is successful. And then here we are looking back and there's a little guilt, a little shame, at least for me being like, did I do a disservice? Did I hurt some kid? Like I, I didn't purposely do something that was malpractice, but now we have, like you said, research, or we just better understand what's happening in the brain of what we are doing was actually not getting to the root of the problem. And we didn't know that until kids were later on in grades. And now we're seeing the the potential there. So what do you say to someone who maybe taught guided reading, maybe even for years, like we did, and now they need to shift of what they thought was the best practice. How do they emotionally deal with that? Number one, I think everyone who is experiencing those feelings needs to know that they are not alone in feeling that way. And that type of reaction is a very normal human way to feel. I think especially in education, because educators know, understand, and feel to their core, a deep understanding of the impact that they have or could have. And so we know the urgency behind what, you know, it's it's why we struggle with taking a day and having a substitute when we're sick, (laughs) right? It's that same reason it's because we're like, but we have to help them grow and, and become readers and all of that. And so, you know, for so long, we've been throwing everything we've got at our kids. And what's difficult is to sit with the idea, like, I did everything I could. I got the master's degree. I worked with my coach. We read all the books. We did what our district asked us and it still wasn't the thing. So I think for me, what I have found helpful is just acknowledging that I'm feeling that way. Right. And, and saying to myself, like, yeah, you know what? Like you're pretty upset that you tried to figure this out and didn't get what you needed. Right. I lament the fact that I maybe didn't have the knowledge that I have now for the students that I was teaching when they were first graders, right? Like, I wonder if I could go back, what kind of change might I have made in their lives? How might that have changed their life trajectory? Right. But I think that's also why so many of us are leaning on that phrase of no better, do better. Mm-hmm. Like we can't, we can't help that we didn't have access to knowledge or that the that the research hadn't begun making its way to educators right in time for us but now i am learning and it's a journey right i'm continuing to learn there's so much to learn and that means that i can do better right so 
I can't go back and change where I was, but I certainly can use what I'm learning now to propel myself forward. Elite educators, listen in real quick. Did you know that I offer micro PD on the go? It is true. Just download the Teachable app and browse always a lesson. There's over 20 topics to listen to or watch as you work out, drive to work, or whatever else is part of your daily routine. A little PD a day is going to add up, and before you know it, you've transformed into a new level of elite. Let's learn on the go together. Now back to the episode. Yeah, and for schools that are adopting science of reading, this is wonderful. Start making the pivot. Do what you can to understand and adjust your instruction. It's going to take time for you to shift your practice, shift your mindset. You've probably got some bad habits, not bad habits, but past habits um, in there. And you're going to have to work through how, like you mentioned, you have to pick the skill and then the text versus the text leads its way to the skill, right? Um, But for schools who haven't yet adopted and might still be doing guided reading or they're doing a weird hybrid how do you encourage a teacher who's like, I'm ready. I want to try this. You know, what's like a good first step. So I think that a good first step is to number one, ask yourself, what data do you have at your fingertips? Right. Cause one thing that that can be difficult is we don't know what skills to address with our students without the right assessment in front of us. So if you're giving leveled text assessments or something, or you're conducting running records, those are not going to reveal in a systematic manner what foundational skills your students might need. So especially from a foundational skill perspective, getting access to something that's going to address your foundational skills. We were lucky because, you know, when you and I worked together, we still had the Dibbles assessments that we were giving in addition to the running records, right? So we had a window into this child's oral reading fluency, for example, is, is revealing that there's something we need to explore here or work on with them. The Dibbles aid assessments are free. You can get them from the university of Oregon website. Um, and so I certainly think making sure that you have enough information about the children that you're teaching is a great place to, to begin. And then too, I think also asking yourself, what types of prompts am I providing during small group instruction? Uh, which might also lead a teacher to consider the text that they're using during small group instruction and for what purpose, right? If your goal, if you're in a, in an early grade and your goal is to be building proficient decoders, right. In terms of foundational skills, then you probably need some decodable texts to support the work that you're doing in small groups. So all of that ends up kind of layering on together. If you can't get to the assessments, and you can't get new texts, if you do nothing else, start helping children pay attention to the letters on the page and the sounds associated with them. Even if it means like covering up pictures and then revealing the picture after they've been decoded. And if if you come to a word and there are sounds and letter connections that you haven't taught, like an elephant, right? If you haven't taught children that P and H spelled together that they spell the f- sound give that give that child the word right don't make them struggle through it don't teach them to lean on the visual cue by prompting them that way but instead say oh we haven't learned this yet so i'm just going to i'm going to provide it for you 
right? I'm going to give you that sound and help begin, right? That's the incidental learning that we can be okay with. Um, and so, you know, pull away from cueing on visuals and cueing for comprehension and instead start getting them to really pay attention to the words on the page. And then, right, like once they've read it, then we think about making meaning from the text. I I agree. I think that's great first steps. I think it's practical. And, you know, the point of this is progress. We're not looking for perfection. We're not expecting to see major gains right away because we're all working through our own stuff. And kids are also being taught a little different than they're used to. So they're adjusting. I think as long as you are doing your best to stay educated on it, to provide excellent instruction, then you should be proud of the progress that you're making. And obviously you're a great resource. I mean, you are a lover of literacy from the day you were probably born. You love to read. You love teaching reading to your students. You became a literacy facilitator. And now you've even started the Reading League in North Carolina. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the Reading League is a national nonprofit. And so I've started an affiliate chapter in North Carolina. So we kind of roll up to the to the national organization. But the mission of the Reading League and and therefore our chapter is really to bring awareness, understanding and use, right, of this evidence-aligned reading instruction. So the beautiful thing about what the national organization provides is they they have resources abound, right? Like you can go, if you want to understand science of reading, they have defined that. They have a defining guide that is free for download, right? You can go and kind of see on their shop, like what types of texts are they kind of backing here, right? They have an entire research leg and people who are dedicated to paying attention to that. So they're a really trusted resource for helping us know like, Hey, we can, we can trust, right. The resources coming out of this organization, because they're really being careful to pay attention to the evidence aligned reading research to support whatever they're kind of advocating for or developing. So in terms of in North Carolina, not only are we providing access to their resources, but we're also trying to figure out how do we come together as a community to continue this work? You know, we're lucky enough in North Carolina that we have legislation and funding that is helping public school teachers access some of this professional development through letters training. Um, And so, you know, that's, I, I say lucky, I mean, because the, the access to that professional development is incredible, right? Not everybody loves it. I get it. It's like (laughs) master's level, master's level work. It's a lot of work, right? So it's a big ask on educators who are already busy. Um, But when you can zoom out and see that the state is really putting money where their mouth is, right? In terms of understanding the need for this, this is a perfect time for our nonprofit of the Reading League North Carolina starting because after letters is done, right? How do we keep these conversations going? That's our hope Mm -hmm. is that we can serve as a way of bringing to bringing people together so that we can continue learning together, continue having conversations and continue to grow, right? Because you can learn all this stuff, but then you go back to your classroom and what if your school, what if you're the only person in your school who's believing in this stuff? What do you have to talk to about it? Right. Right. Everybody, everybody needs those thought partners, the people who are also like staying up at night on a Friday, 
Linda, Linda raises her hand <laughs> thinking about like, oh man, like, I wonder how I could put something into action or, you know, we in our nonprofit are lucky enough that like we get access to some of these like big wig authors or right. Or we're aware of other webinars happening in our chapter network of the other state chapters and stuff. And like, so there's so much out there. So it's just an opportunity to kind of stay on top of what's happening with reading research and know that it's, it's a trusted source so that we don't find ourselves in another five years saying, man, I wish I had known that. Right. This is a chance to know it live while it's happening or, you know, find a way to, to get started and be a part of that, you know, putting, making that change process happen. So if somebody needs help in terms of science or reading, or maybe they're even interested in joining their own state's league or getting it started like you did from the ground up, uh, tell us how to connect with you or where they can go to do all that. Yes. So the national website is thereadingleague.org. That's it. Go there. You can click on about us and you can click find it. There's a um, link to find a chapter and you can see the map to know if there's a chapter for your state or there's a what's called a roadmap, which is what we followed to become a state chapter. And the wonderful thing about the Reading League is like they want this to happen. So they've hired someone to help be the, be that answer for chapter leaders who are like, how do I do this? And they have the resources available. Um, so it's certainly, certainly possible. And you can get to our website from there, um, which is just nc.thereadingleague.org. And depending on the, depending on the state, things might function differently um, because each state chapter is its own entity. Uh, we're just affiliated with a national organization. Um, but the to to be on the Reading League email and stuff, it's free to kind of become a member with them. Uh, the only kind of paid services that they have is some of their professional development series. They have like educator learning blocks that um, have a have a payment associated with them. And then they also have the Reading League Journal, uh, which is a publication that they do three times a year. And they publish research articles. So it's a really fantastic way to kind of digest what's happening with research. Last weekend, I was lucky enough to, one of the things that they do after they publish a volume of the journal is they invite authors of the research article to come and like have a coffee chat about their article. And I was lucky enough last week to facilitate one of those and pick the researcher's brain. And you know, it's so cool. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like reading research is not easy and not everybody loves it. Right. But imagine reading it and then getting, getting the chance to ask the author to say like, can you explain this a little bit more? (laughs) Right. Like I got to do that last week. Um, and those are free, right? So if you subscribe to the, to the journal and you're reading these articles, you can join their Facebook group and join the coffee chats live or watch the recordings. Right. Or even if you don't, if if you're not subscribed, like join the group and watch the articles and you, or watch the recordings and you can understand a little bit about what's happening with the research articles and get a preview of the type of research you would be able to access. Yeah. And I'm Um, even thinking principals can use their PD funds to allow teachers to do book studies 
when these publications come out or to attend workshops or maybe even be part of starting up the reading league. Right. So yeah. Don't allow yourself to freak out. You're like, oh, something else that's paid. Like I can't do it. Like there are ways that we can work around it. If you love it, if you're passionate about it, you know, your district state school needs it. Like let's talk. And I'm sure you would be a great asset to someone if they had lots of questions. Do you want to share your email so they can reach out to you? Yeah, feel free. I mean, you can go to my website and, and grab my email that way. It's just lindarineconsulting.com. So my email is a little bit long because of that, right? So it's just lryan at lindarineconsulting.com. But easiest way is grab my website or come, you know, grab me on social media. If you're on Instagram, I'm on Linda Ryan consulting. I'm, I tweet, I tweet or I X, I think. I know now it's an X. I think I X, um, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm, I try to be everywhere. You are everywhere. Um, and it's always, it's always me who, who answers. Cause yes. it's just, it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I like it that way. Um, yeah. Uh, I think to the reading, the- we have a group ahead. in the reading league. It might not, it might not be just me, uh, for the reading league, but I'm, if it's just, you know, if you're hitting left Linda Rand consulting, it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think just to sum up the conversation is this is all about lifelong learning. There are going to mm. be shifts and adjustments and to be stubborn and ignore research and be like, this is what I've always done really does a disservice. And so to just be open, even though it's hard, even though it's overwhelming, even though you're like, I'm doing something again, uh, you know, it's another year and it's a new initiative. And you're just like, I'm over it. As long as you take the baby steps and you're open to the shift that could happen for kids and even your own development as a professional, I think that's really the key here. So I hope folks listening aren't like, oh, like overwhelmed, but they truly are inspired to be able to say, I know I can do what's best for kids and I can do it in a small action every single day. Yes. And you can. And if someone else is asking you to do that or to do all the things, um, advocate for yourself and say, if what, where, what's the one thing that I can start with and get good at, and then layer on something else. Well, I'm so glad we got to chat. Is there any last minute words of wisdom you want to share? Just um, be kind to yourself. Don't shame yourself out of trying something that feels new. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. It's good to see you. Good to chat. Too. I mean, I love to see you get lit up over literacy. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah. That's like lit, up over, lit up over literacy. Alliteration. <laughs> We're such dorks. But yep. um, anyway, I love it. I love thank it. you so much for being a guest. And I'll put all your Always. contact information um, in the show notes so people can describe okay. it there too. Okay. Sounds good. We'll chat soon. Bye. Bye. All right, y'all. She did it again. She's inspired us. We're armed with information. We have our marching orders. We know what we need to do next to inspire change in ourselves, change in classrooms, change in school buildings. Please don't feel overwhelmed. Eat the elephant one bite at a time, which is a funny saying considering that was the word she used in the episode. But I just want you to have the information and then take time to digest it, reflect on it, and decide what makes sense for me because we're all at a different journey with implementation of Science of Reading. If you're interested in the Reading League, I really hope you get connected with her. All that information is going to be in the show notes for you. Linda's just a great resource, y'all. You need to have her as part of your PLN. You need to see what she's doing on social. You need to connect with her. She is on fire 
for doing what is best for kids and she loves what she does and it just oozes out of her each and every day. Linda, if you're listening, I love you so much. Thank you for being a wonderful mentor, a wonderful coach, and an even more amazing friend. All right, Elite Educators, that's another amazing episode of the Empowering Educators podcast. You have now been empowered.